right, you guys ready for one of the last weeks of the book of Ephesians? It's kind of hard to believe. We started this series, I don't even know how long ago, um, but we had to take a break for it and then a break from it, and then we jumped back into it, and now we're almost done. It feels a little bit weird. Um, and today we're going to be in a pretty familiar passage, but um, I think you guys are mature enough to to say, I don't actually know it all, right? We, yeah, <laughs> one, of us, one of us is still learning. <laughs> so um, I'm just gonna pray for us that we would be um, in a learning state of mind as I had to be digging into a passage that I thought I'd heard a million times. So Father God, just open our hearts and our minds, give us ears to hear. Uh, Help us to just soak in what you would speak to us. Um, help it to just really um, land in a new way that we would apply it to our lives and um, and just be stronger and more well-equipped people who serve you. God, help me to say only what you want me to say and help everything else to just um, fall to the side or help me forget to say it if it's not from you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're going to be in Ephesians 6, and the passage that we're going to focus on is verses 13 through 20. Um, This is the armor of God passage that you guys have probably heard several times if you've been in church for a minute. And uh, last week, Pastor Tim taught us about spiritual warfare and how um, the book of Ephesians is like the first five and a half chapters are teaching us how we relate to God and to other people, to each other, how we can be a healthy functioning church, the body of Christ. Um, And that's all very important. And this topic is not an afterthought. Paul did not leave it for last um, because he went, oh yeah, I forgot about that one thing. I guess that's important enough. I'll, I'll add that in. Rather, he teaches us all about the five and a half chapters previous and then says, hey, by the way, if you're trying to apply all of these things, but you don't realize that you have an enemy who's going to try to stop you from doing those things, like, let me, let me help you gear up for the fight ahead. So he jumps into this explanation of how our enemy is not flesh and blood, Sometimes it feels like it is. Sometimes it feels like the person sitting next to you is the person you got to take out the frustrations on. But we are not the enemy. The outside world, even though we're taught not to assimilate to what is out there, that's not the enemy. Rather, he says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, not the people who haven't met Christ yet, but the powers that are working against us. And then in verse 13, I'm going to start and read this passage for us. It says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure this is that time. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now, usually when I've read this passage in the past, I kind of stopped after the description of the full armor of God and, and just thought, like, that's kind of a standalone chunk but we're going to get through all of that that I just read today, and it's, it's got some really important stuff in it. And one thing I want you to notice right off the bat is that when we're talking about spiritual warfare, the goal is not defeating the enemy. I know that sounds weird, but that's Jesus's business. Nothing that we do is actually going to destroy the devil. We have power and we have authority, 
but ultimately Jesus is going to be the one who does away with the enemy. Our goal is what Paul says, to stand firm, to be able to live this Christian life without getting knocked down by his attacks. And that's reflected in what each of the pieces of armor are designed to do. So our first job is to take inventory. We need to know what our equipment is. I really like how the uh, complete Jewish Bible translates the beginning of this passage. It says, put on every piece of war equipment that Jesus offers you. Because that's really what this is. It's war equipment. And the analogy that Paul is using is based on the armor worn by Roman soldiers at the time. And that's something that the Christians in Ephesus would have been very familiar with. In fact, some of them might have been Roman soldiers. A lot of the time I picture Paul's audience as being um, like the people that I think of living at that time, which is the Israelites. And that's not who he was writing to. I kind of have to remind myself of this. He's writing to people of the Roman Empire, many of them being Romans. He was sent to the Gentiles. And at the time, Roman soldiers, they were the military, yes, but they were also like the police force. They enforced Roman law, and their goal was to keep the Roman peace. That was one of the core values, you could say, of the Roman Empire. So these, these were police officers. We have police officers in, in our church. They had police officers in their church. This was a very familiar imagery for them. You could see these guys walking down the street or traveling from one town to the next because they were you know, on some sort of mission. And so they knew what all of these pieces looked like. But we're gonna need to kinda refresh a little bit. Like, I didn't grow up in ancient Rome or anywhere near there, so what do these things look like? So first we have the belt of truth. Now, when I think of a belt, um, I usually think, well, I usually wear mine up here so that they, you know, look flattering with the right outfit and everything. Or, you know, men's belts are usually a strip of leather with a buckle, and you put them through the, the belt loops, and they help make sure your pants stay in place. Um, that's not what a Roman soldier's belt was for. And here's a fun fact that I did not learn in church. Um, I learned it because I was an ancient history nerd. But... In the Roman Empire, your legacy was very important. And Roman soldiers were not usually married or having children, but they sure wanted to be at some point. And the belt that was part of the armor worn by Roman soldiers was meant to protect the reproductive organs. Who knew? But they were designed, as you can see in the picture, with straps that were probably a good foot long or so that were leather and then they had either metal plates or studs to reinforce them so that in the event of being attacked, that was one less place that you could be wounded because you can survive that kind of wound, but boy, you sure don't want to have to. And when you survive all the battles that you're, you're fighting and you want to be able to go home and get married, have a wife and kids and carry on your family name and things like that. And the reason that Paul uses that imagery for truth is because what you believe to be true, no matter what it is, you will reproduce it. Whatever truth, you know how the world nowadays likes to say, speak your truth, as if all our truth is equal and the same. And in our minds it is, because what I believe to be true is what I'm going to live out. And that comes out in me repeating to my children the things that I was raised with. My family of origin did things a certain way. And so I automatically pass that on to my children, whether I should or not. Some of our families had wonderful, healthy values, and some did not. And then when we become parents, we're realizing, oh, my gosh, I'm doing that thing that my dad did or my mom did that I hated when I was a kid or you realize, I don't know how to be a good parent because I had an abusive parent and I don't want to pass that on. And yet we reproduce what we have accepted as truth. So it's crucial that we wear truth to protect what we're going to reproduce. Because our legacy and the legacy of the church depends on it. This is why very early on in Deuteronomy, God says to the Israelites, 
He's giving them the law and he says, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all of your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house where most of your values become established. And when you walk along the road or you're driving in your car and your kids are asking all those questions that you struggle to answer because you're driving, talk about God. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand because you're going to see that a lot. Let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Make God's word and God's truth such a part of your life, your family, your culture, that it's the only thing you can reproduce. You see how, how crucial the truth is now? And all because the Romans thought to, to protect something like that. <laughs> they were smart because it's crucial that we know the truth, God's truth, and that our legacy is based on and filled with that truth. Second, we have the body armor of righteousness. And I don't know about you, but I've always felt like righteousness as body armor is kind of ill-fitting. It makes me think of when, um, when David said, I'll go fight Goliath, and Saul's like, okay, here, let me put my armor on you. And he's like, bro, I can't move. Like, this is not my size. I can't fight in this. It doesn't fit. But Paul repeatedly tells believers to take off the old self and put on Christ. We're to put on Christ's righteousness. And that probably feels like an awkward fit sometimes because we're not inherently righteous people. It feels weird to live righteously. It takes effort to live righteously. Sometimes we fail to live righteously, probably multiple times a day. But he tells us to put on Christ's righteousness anyway. And it's going to take a lifetime, but by his grace, we're going to grow into it. And the cool thing is that God walks through this process of becoming righteous with us. He doesn't just say, be righteous. It doesn't feel comfortable to do that. Oh, maybe you weren't cut out for this. No, he says, put it on anyway. I'm going to work with you. And thank goodness he does, right? Otherwise, we'd have given up a long time ago. So the body armor of righteousness protects our hearts because we need to be reminded when the enemy is attacking us, our hearts especially need to be reminded that it's not about whether or not we did it perfectly. We've got Christ's righteousness. We've got what he did for us. Next, we have the, the shoes of peace that comes from the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the word peace in the Bible, I think, what peace? What world are you living in? Because this one doesn't know much about peace. But this peace comes from knowing the gospel. Now, there have been stages of my life where the name of Jesus, like I would hear a song about speaking the name of Jesus. If you guys have ever heard the song, I Speak Jesus. If you haven't, go listen to it. It's really good. But I'd hear a song like that and say, what does speaking a name do? How does that fix anything? It's just a name. I mean, I know that Jesus is powerful, but just saying his name, like, what does that do? But one thing that I've learned is that your relational proximity to a thing influences its effect on you. For example, I know of a name that I can't say without feeling just a little bit better. Like, it makes me stop for a second, and I just, I just feel better because of this name. I can't even say it in a normal way because of what it does to my heart, and my husband's going to laugh. He already knows what it is. His name is Charlie, <laughs> and he's my kitty. My husband has a wonderful effect, too. But I say his name in so many different ways, most of them not frustrated. But, but whenever I talk to Charlie, it's because he's my little fluff ball. And I love Charlie. And I would, anytime I'm feeling bad, I can scoop him up and cuddle him and he'll just purr. And you know, that wouldn't work for any of the rest of you. 
you come over to my house, he's going to go hide. Because he's my healing fluffball. And so the things that are going to affect your heart are greatly going to depend on your relational proximity to the thing. If you only think of the gospel as this other thing that like you prayed a prayer a long time ago and I mean it was great at the time and you know you felt something at that point but you know now it's like yeah yeah Jesus died uh paid the price and now I get to go to heaven and I have to do this really hard job of like living for him which I don't know if I can do and it kind of stresses me out and and I'm kind of a terrible human being and gosh did it really do anything when I when I accepted his gift of salvation but if you hold the gospel close to your heart and you know that those days when it feels like you kind of stink at living up to the thing that he paid for for you, but you know it's so fresh, you know it's so close, you say, Jesus, gosh, I know I, know I, I don't measure up, but I know that you did that for me anyway. That can be so healing. That can bring the pressure down so much. Because when God sent Jesus to pay that price for you, he knew exactly how dumb we are. He knew how much we were going to screw up. We don't surprise him. But if you don't know really close, really inside of you, why he did what he did, that he paid that price because he believes in you because he believes in himself. You see how you're the, the piece of the equation that, like, you're the variable. No matter what you put in there, it can still work because it depended on him, not on us. That gives me so much peace when it comes to the pressure of being as perfect as him. I mean, I still want to be for sure. But the gospel can bring peace when we hold it close. Some of us need to get up close and personal with the gospel again. The other question is, what does it keep us prepared for? The, the passage says, so that you will be fully prepared. Prepared for what? Well, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. So when you have that peace and you can walk in hope and people say, well, what's up with you? You know, how are you like that? You can actually answer. If you're not holding the gospel close to you, you're going to have a hard time answering that question. And Romans 10.15 says, As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. That peace, that gospel, that is good news. And when we are walking in that peace and we are holding the gospel close to our hearts, we are prepared to share it. Because something in your story might put new shoes on someone else. Next, we have the shield of faith. Now, the Roman shield was usually made out of wood, and then it was wrapped in strips of leather and soaked in water. And leather can stay soaked for a good long time, but gosh, it's heavy. But there's a reason for it. Because at that time, they didn't have guns and cannons and you know, machine guns and missiles and things like that, their warfare was mostly done with archery. And one of the um, strategies that they used at the time was to get their arrows and put a flaming coal on the tip of the arrow and then fire it into the enemy camp because one arrow can hit one target, but a flaming arrow can hit and ignite. So the Romans figured out that when their enemies shoot flying balls of fire at them, you need to be able to extinguish them. Otherwise, more than one guy's going to get hurt. It's going to be bad. And his shield's going to be useless because it's going to burn up. So what does that look like spiritually? Like, how is faith a shield like that? Well, one of the things that I really like about how the Roman shield was made is that the wooden structure, to me, that kind of, I, I associate that structure with knowledge. There are things that we know about God, and then there's things that we have to trust. And those things are given shape and given strength 
by being wrapped around the structure of knowing God. And then the faith, when we are soaked, when we are soaked with Jesus and we trust what he says, when the enemy fires his flaming arrows, his lies, his ideas, what he wants us to believe, it might hit. You might feel it. But you've got a shield that's specially designed against those things. And when you trust God's words and you trust his promises and you believe God's standards and God's opinion about you and about other people and you trust God's plans for your life and God's ability to work in and through you, the enemy's lies, they might hit, but they fizzle out. They don't take you down because you were soaked. Next, we have the helmet of salvation. Now, helmets, the kind that the Roman soldiers wore at the time, protected two main things, your brain and your ears. Why your ears? Well, for one thing, they bleed a lot. Trust me, I've had mine split open before. It's pretty amazing how much of your body's blood supply goes to your head. Now, your brain controls the body. The state of your mind informs every other move that you make, whether it's voluntary or involuntary. All of it is attached to the brain. And if your brain is injured, it's really hard for other things to do what they're supposed to do. You see, our mental state affects our emotional state and our spiritual state, and we need to protect it. And our ears take in the sounds of the, the world around us, the words that are said, the environments we put ourselves in. And it's crucial that what comes into our minds and our ears gets filtered through the truth of our salvation. Now, let's be clear, this only works if you're actually saved. So if you're not, maybe take a minute. But it's, it's important because the world says so many things about us. And salvation says something else. Salvation says you are right with God. You were bought at the highest price. You've been forgiven. You're a new creation. Salvation says you're not condemned. You have a purpose. You have a father. You are grafted in, and you're part of his kingdom now, and you have his power. You can take every thought captive, no matter what the world throws at you. You are no longer available to the enemy. Why? Because Jesus took the crown of thorns so that we could take up the helmet of salvation. And if we don't remember those things, it's so much easier for the enemy to get into our heads. He says, I know I can't possess you because you're already filled with the Holy Spirit and all that stuff, but I'm going to try and mess with you. And we need protection against that. We need to focus on our salvation. Next, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice that the sword is not the Spirit. It's the equipment that the Spirit uses, which is the Word of God. And we have access to that. In John 14, 26, Jesus tells us, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, things that Jesus said are scripture. I mean, there's a lot of things he said that didn't make it into scripture, but like his word is scripture. In the beginning was the word. Like he started it. He inspired it. It's all about him. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it. And when we need it, he is the one who brings it to our minds. Now, this isn't a cop-out. This doesn't mean, you know, well, since the Holy Spirit's job is to tell me everything I need to say, I don't need to worry about knowing the Bible and says that we'll be reminded. To be reminded of something, you have to experience it first. And 2 Timothy says, study to show yourself to be approved by God. Now, this doesn't mean study so that you will be approved by God. It says study to demonstrate that you've been approved by God and how do you do that? By being a workman who has no reason for shame, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, you can put in workwoman there too. This is not a man's topic, okay? Scripture is not just for men. The armor is not just for men. But we all need to study and accurately handle the word of truth. Have you ever been around somebody who has... Um, like swords and like the fantasy weapons, the replicas and stuff like that. Like this is the Lord of the Rings sword. And my brother has a lot of those and he has like samurai swords and stuff like that. Um, but they literally just sit on 
on little holders on shelves because he doesn't actually sword fight. He just likes the shows. And he'll tell you that. Do you know how to use that? No. So you're not going to see him pick it up and start, you know, trying to act like he's a samurai. He's going to hurt someone or put a hole in his wall. Fortunately, he's smarter than that. But the Bible is, is kind of the same way. Some of us like to have it sitting on our shelf because it looks pretty and it makes us look really spiritual. But then on the rare occasion when we pull it down to try and use it because somebody was wrong on the internet, then we just look like an idiot and we put holes in walls that shouldn't have even been there. So we need to study the word. And if you don't know how to study the word, just keep coming to church. So now we know what the armor of God is. That's very important. But there's two traps that are really easy to fall into. And first one is knowing versus using. If you're knowledgeable about something and you don't use it, it's just kind of funny. One time I decided I was going to... I was going to do the thing. I was going to get a gym membership, and I was going to get in shape. I was going to, you know, really commit. So I, I went to the gym, and I asked them, you know, for information about starting up a gym membership, and they said, would you like a tour of our, our facilities so that you can see all the cool machines and, and the resources that are available to you when you become a member? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Give me a tour. So this kid who's probably, I mean, he was out of high school. But he's about my size. Um... And he comes down, he's like, all right, I'll give you a tour. And he's wearing his little Planet Fitness shirt. And um, he takes me around the gym and points out, like, hey, this is, you know, this is our cardio area. And this is, you know, you've got treadmills and ellipticals. And you've got, you know, stair steppers. And over here, we've got our free weights. And over here, we've got, you know, these machines. You've got abs. You've got legs. You've got shoulders, back, et cetera, you know. And a couple of the machines are really weird looking. So I was like, well, how do you even use this one? And he goes, oh, well, see, you know, here's the, on the diagram, blah, blah, blah. Explains how the machine works. And he says, you know, a pro tip. When you're using this one, don't put your hands here. You want to put them here because, like, if you do it wrong, you can hurt yourself. Like, okay, good to know. Thanks. And, like, I'm a talker. I like getting to know people. So I said, well, what's your favorite machine? And he goes, oh, I, I don't work out. <laughs> oh, okay. And he goes, I just work here. <laughs> Noted. Okay. And he says, but we do have trainers available. You know, because he didn't want me to go like, oh, well, if the employees don't even use it, why would I come here? He's like, no, 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 there's lots of people who do work out. I, I'm just not your guy. I'm like, okay, right. So there's a big difference between actually using the equipment and just knowing a lot about it. Because we can study these things and never actually do anything with it. And the devil loves when we do that. He's like, yeah, you're so smart. You're so smart. You're good to go. That's all you need to do. Just, just be smart. Be able to tell everybody about the things. But don't bother using them. They're kind of heavy. But we got to use them. Another trap. I like to call it spiritual cosplay. So this, on the left, is a 3D print. That means it's plastic. And you can order this on Etsy in your size. And then you can paint it up and pin it on your clothes and go to Trick or Treat or you could go to Comic-Con or whatever and be the coolest kid on the block. And it's fun. I'm not trying to bash cosplay. I have an elf dress, okay? Like, I like that sort of thing. Want to play Dungeons and Dragons? Hit me up. But This is just for fun. This is just for looks. Notice how the person's like, check it out. Check out the cosplay. Man, this took me 18 hours and four gallons of model paint. <laughs> you know? But it works for a while if you just want to feel cool until we actually have to use it. And then it's clear. One of these things is not like the other. They, they look kind of similar, but... One of them is actually ready for action, and one of them just looks cool. 
Now, some of us tend to do this with our walk with Christ. It's that Instagram theology where you've unfollowed all the bad influences and you follow all the pastors and, you know, all the, the mommy bloggers that share scripture every day. And your phone is filled with a scroll of little Bible verses and you have that widget on your phone that's the verse of the day so that you can open it up and like give God a little nod like the, when you see someone at Walmart wearing a t-shirt you like. You're like, all right, God, I read your t-shirt for today. And then you go back to whatever you were doing. You finish your grocery shopping and the Walmart t-shirt person just, you know, they go on with their day. It doesn't ever actually have to affect our lives. Now, as somebody who has struggled with mental health for over 20 years, I do want to be clear. Those tools can be lifesavers when you just can't and someone can hand you a scripture, or you can just put on worship music and just soak and let other people do the, the stuff that requires that extra oomph, and you can just like ride along. There's a place for it, but they're tools, not your relationship with God. If you're only Facebook friends with God, there's a problem, okay? So you see the difference? So how do we make this a real, useful part of our lives? Well, first, you need to be an armor wearer, for real. Not just a little bit. You gotta be the real deal. Now, clearly, we've shifted armor analogies from first century Roman Empire to a galaxy far, far away. See, I'm, I'm not just an ancient history nerd, I also am a bit of a sci-fi fantasy nerd, uh, so bear with me. So for anyone who's not familiar, this is a character named Din Djarin, more commonly known as the Mandalorian or Mando. And there are some things about the armor of God that our favorite bounty hunter demonstrates really well for us. Now, there are aspects of his character that I would like you to not emulate. Don't take this too far, okay? If your kids get out of line and you say, I can bring, them, bring you in hot or I can bring you in cold, like, you're taking it too far, okay? <laughs> we're just, we're talking about the armor, all right? So, a bit of backstory for anyone who's not familiar, you know, just in case. Mandalorians, these guys, they are not a race or an ethnicity. They are a clan-based culture composed of members from multiple species and bound by a common creed, language, and code. Kind of like the church. Now, when someone becomes a Mandalorian, they take a vow. And in some Mandalorian clans, part of this vow is to never remove your helmet in the presence of others. Basically, the, the idea is that your vow as a Mandalorian is so much a part of your identity, you don't need your face anymore. Like, you don't need everyone to know you. You need to be seen as a Mandalorian because that's what you've chosen. Now, as a warrior clan, the Mandalorians take their armor very seriously. The best Mandalorian armor is forged from pure Beskar, the strongest metal in the galaxy. Now, not all Mandalorians have full Beskar armor, but whatever they do have, they know what it's made of, and they take its quality and care very seriously. Because, as you can see, it, it gets a little battle-worn. So they, they're accustomed to needing to fix and reinforce and upgrade their armor throughout their life. They tend to get in a lot of scrapes, you know? But Mandalorian armor is meant to stay with the wearer till death or dismemberment. In the odd case, when a Mandalorian is actually forcibly separated from their armor, but not killed, their first order of business is to get it back. Like, that's their identity. That's their religion. In one episode, this guy tries to go through basically the Star Wars equivalent of an airport, and he's told to uh, check his weapons. He says, what? weapons are part of my religion. Like, in a lot of areas, you know, religion is protected. And they're like, mm, still. And he has to have a moment where he's like, am I still me if I put down my, my weapons. He's still wearing his armor. He just had to check the weapons. But a Mandalorian actually forgetting a piece of armor, getting up in the morning and not putting one on, it's not going to happen. Like, you want a Mandalorian helmet, you're probably going to have to take off his head. But can you imagine if we had that level of commitment to our spiritual equipment? That if somehow we neglected to gear up with all of the war equipment that Christ offers us, that we would actually stop everything that we're doing and make it our first order of business to get it back. 
that we'd abandon side quests, so to speak. And rather than floundering around, vulnerable without it, we would make sure that we get it, that we get that time with the Lord, that we are equipped for the day. Man, what would this world look like? And there's one episode in season one of The Mandalorian where he's in a small town and someone comes around and offers him and his friend who's with him um, some food and drink. Completely normal activity, eating and drinking. And his friend accepts and he politely declines because he can't take his helmet off in front of other people. So he has to eat alone. And she turns to him and she says, when was the last time you took that thing off? She's not a Mandalorian, so she's like, what's the deal? And he says, well, the last time I ate, you know, by myself. She's like, yeah, but when is the last time you took it off in front of someone else? And he goes, never. It's a little bit weird. Like, you're not going to participate in everyday things? All because of your helmet? When we take the name of Jesus and call ourselves a member of his family, we join a culture that's bound by a common creed. You can go listen to the sermon series about that creed. We have a language. It might not seem like it, but it's called Christianese. If you start speaking it like in Starbucks, they look at you like, what? And we have a lifestyle. But imagine what this world would look like if we as believers held so tightly to Christ, not in legalism, but in the kind of bond that makes people say, when was the last time you didn't look so much like Jesus? Why are you so gracious and compassionate? Why are you so like, grounded in truth and secure in your identity? Why are you so hard to derail? Why do you respond so patiently to the frustrations of life? Why are you so humble? How are you such a non-anxious presence? How on earth do you maintain your peace in this crazy world? Why do you seem so well-equipped for this life? And when was the last time you didn't? I can't think of a better time to say, this is the way. Do you know the Mandalorians stole that from the church? You can look in Acts. When Paul is converted, it says he was going out looking for people to haul off to jail, anyone, man or woman, who belonged to the way. This is the way. All right? Now, the other thing that we need to do with this armor of God is we need to be an armor bearer. Like, yep, we got to wear it, and we got to bear it for other people. Now, if we jump into verse 18, Paul says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me, too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him, as I should. Now, that, that first sentence, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, that kind of sentence used to make me go, huh? How do you do that? But prayer is kind of like rest. Sometimes it's a specific action. Sometimes when you need to rest, you go to bed in your comfy PJs, you lay down, you turn off all the lights, and you sleep. Other times, rest looks like having a Sabbath day, where it's more the mindset and the choice of activities than like a set period of time where you are sleeping. But both are rest. Prayer is similar in the sense that sometimes we are verbally talking to God. Sometimes it means that we are listening to him. There's listening prayer. And sometimes it means that we are intentionally choosing our pace, our activities, and our mindset to be in constant communion with him. That at any moment, someone comes to your mind and you say, God, bless that person. Strengthen that, for, that person for the things that are going on in their day. Like, fill them with your love and your peace and your spirit. It should be something that you can do anytime without even thinking about it. It doesn't mean that you're walking around, and sorry, bro, can't talk right now. I'm talking to God. Okay, Jesus, sorry about that. That guy was so rude to interrupt. Okay, um, back to prayer mode. 
Like, no, you can, you can talk to other people. <laughs> but constant communion, okay? And the cool thing is that when we pray in the Spirit, the Bible says we automatically are praying the will of God because he's the one speaking, and he's not going to say anything that goes against his will. How cool is that? Because, I mean, sometimes you don't know what to pray. But that's why it says the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf with groanings too deep for words, because sometimes we just, we're out of words. Now, the second sentence there, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Staying alert, I feel like it's a bit of an art, because some people say, stay alert, you need to know exactly what's going on in the world. You need to read the news. You need to know who all the politicians are and what their stance is on all the things so you can vote the way that I would vote, not the way that other guy would vote. But I don't think that's what Paul means when he says stay alert. I think he means pay attention to the people around you. When people talk, listen. How on earth are you going to know how you can help or how you can pray if you never pay attention to the people around you. But if you do pay attention, you can pray informed prayers. You can help reinforce the armor that they're wearing. You might even help them upgrade. Like, you might be able to contribute something to their life that makes a piece of their armor stronger for the rest of their lives. But you can't do that if you're not paying attention. Have you ever had somebody try to encourage you or comfort you in a way that made you go, I know they meant well. I know they meant well. I know they meant well. It happens. Because we need to be better at paying attention to each other. I think Paul sets a fantastic example in the next verses. Because he says, pray for me too. What? The, the perfect Paul? The one who like did all the right things and planted all the churches and you know wrote most of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. He says, pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And the cool thing is, like, he, he gives us some specific instructions on how we can be armor bearers for each other. First, like a good armor bearer, he advocates for other believers, specifically for believers everywhere. Our prayers need to extend beyond the walls of this church. A while back, we had the Kamalskis come and share a little bit about what was going on in their ministry in South Africa, completely other side of the world. When was the last time you prayed for them? Maybe you can start up again now. There's believers in Ukraine who are trying to help those around them. There's churches that half of their people are gone because they fled to safety, but you know, there's the pastors and a few core families that are like, no, we gotta stay and help the people around us because this is a war zone. We can be praying for them. We can be praying for the church down the street because we're not better than them. I mean, in my opinion, this is the place to be, but they're doing God's work in the way that he's called them to. We can be praying for them. Second, Paul says, like, he asks for prayer support for himself. Now, those who are responsible for equipping others need extra prayer support because they're tending to their own armor and the armor of people who have placed themselves in their spiritual care. There's some expectation that comes when you choose to place yourself in sp someone's spiritual care. So it's one thing to, to say, I pray for all believers everywhere. It's another thing to say, I disciple believers in my local congregation. Paul was the founding pastor of the Ephesian church. He was the Pastor Tim. So if Paul needed prayer, how much do you think Pastor Tim would love to be prayed for? Because that's a different job than just praying for believers everywhere. But the cool thing is it's a cyclical prayer request. Because he says, pray for believers, and then pray for me as I share Christ and add more believers. Help me to to speak the truth in such a way that we have more disciple-making, disciple-makers. Paul basically says, pray to perpetuate the cycle of discipleship. 
So pray for my armor and pray for those who are taking up their armor. And then pray for the ones that they're going to raise up. Like back to the Mandalorian thing. Did you know that if a Mandalorian is in a battle and he finds a child with no defenses, he cannot leave that child to its fate. It's against the code. He has to take that child into his care either until that child is raised to be another Mandalorian or is returned to its kind. But he must protect that child with his life. That's why we all love Grogu. Because if it wasn't for the Mandalorian, Grogu would be dead in the like third episode. But like, that's what we need to do when we see someone who's hurting, who doesn't have God, who doesn't have the armor of Christ, who is so vulnerable to this world, we don't just say, well, live and let live. I mean, yes, Jesus has said, when you share the gospel and someone rejects it, you know, shake the dust off. Some people are not going to accept it. But when you see somebody that needs and recognizes their need and is willing to be cared for and brought into the family, like, can you imagine how, what we would think of Mando if he was like, sorry, kid, uh, they want to do science experiments on you, and um, I got bounties to find, so check you later. We'd be like, bruh, don't leave the baby. But when Christ calls us to do that, we like to try and figure out all the ways that it can be someone else's job. But no. When you're armored up, you're more powerful. And to be a whole nother kind of nerd with great power comes great responsibility. We are meant to change this world. The spiritual warfare of the big C church should be our concern. Not in a way that steals our peace so that we can't solve, or I mean because we can't solve every problem of the big C church, but in a way that moves us to advocate in prayer and encouragement for every believer within and outside of our immediate reach. All right, so let's do a little recap. It's like previously on Armor Up. We gotta take inventory. That might mean that you go back and read the passage for yourself and go, hey, where am I at on these things? We need to make sure that we're being an armor bearer, I mean, an armor wearer. Gear up yourself with the real deal, not just the stuff that makes it so that everybody else thinks you're a believer with a relationship with Christ. You need real armor, and then you need to be able to help other people tend to their armor and be an armor bearer. So in wrapping up, we're going to just pause and think through these things a little bit. We're going to take some inventory. With that belt of truth, the things that you believe that you're reproducing through your values and your attitudes and your actions and your life choices and your legacy, are they the truth? Not your truth, the truth. With that body armor of righteousness, are you taking off the old self, because it tries to crawl on in your sleep. You ever notice that? It's like, I wake up the next morning, man, I'm still Kristen. It's not an entirely bad thing, but there's that part of Kristen that needs to get lost. Are we taking off the old self and putting on the righteousness of Christ? Because the more we do it, the better it'll fit. For the shoes... Shoes of peace. Do you navigate life with the peace that comes from knowing the good news of the gospel? Are you a non-anxious presence walking firmly in God's redemptive work in your life? And the shield of faith. The enemy's not going to ease up in his attacks. When you leave here, he's, he's probably going to be trying harder. He's probably going to want you to feel like he's already won. But do you trust what God says? Are you soaked with his promises and his truth and his opinions so that the enemy's lies fizzle out when they hit? Are you saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Are you able to filter the world around you through that lens of your salvation? And are you digging into the word for yourself? When the enemy tries to lead you astray, can you counter his deception with scripture like Jesus did? Are you being an armor wearer 
this armor is made available to everyone who is in Christ. Have you put it on? Like for really? Really, truly? What condition is your armor in? Is it brand new and shiny because you haven't used it yet? That's okay too. Is it battle-worn but well-used and well-cared for? That'd be awesome. Is it neglected and maybe in need of some care? None of these are the worst place to be or the best place to be. But you can't get to where you're going if you don't start where you are. So what spiritual discipline can you practice this week to reinforce your armor for the battle ahead? And being an armor bearer, who can you encourage? Who can you build up this week? Pull out your phone, send them a text message, check on them later this week. Who's a spiritual leader that you can cover their ministry in prayer? Even if it's just for this week, and then you, you pick another one, you pray for a different ministry every week. Or if you pick someone, you're like, you know what? That person's pouring into me, I'm going to pray for them every day. Or that person's pouring into my children, I'm going to pray for them every day. And finally, what's one element of your story that might be useful to share with someone who needs their strength bolstered for battle? Because they're in it just as much as you are. And God puts things in our lives so that we can turn around and hand a piece of armor or a tool to our neighbor. Who can we encourage this week? I'm just going to pray over all of us, because I don't know about you, but this feels like a lot to apply. So God, thank you for the equipment that you give us. Thank you for filling us with your spirit and enabling us to pick up these things that sometimes look kind of heavy, but you tell us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that these things are not cumbersome or burdensome to us, that they empower us and protect us, God. So help us to use all of the equipment that you've designed for us and help us to be so easily recognized by the world as the people who never stop trying to look like you. In Jesus' name, amen.